0: Hello, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today we have a guest who doesn't even really need an introduction. It's Matt Fitzgerald. He's a best-selling author. He's written dozens of endurance-related books, whether it's focusing on running, triathlon, nutrition, the psychological benefits, um, Of endurance training, the best ways to improve your performance, using psychological techniques and a variety of other topics. Matt is as a complete stud, not only as a prolific writer but also as a runner. So this past year, so I'm recording this on January first, 2018. But in 2017, Matt had a very special year. He actually got to live out the the dedicated amateur runner's dream. Frankly, he got to train for three months with the Naz Elite professional running team in Arizona. That team is coached by Ben Rosario and just littered with, uh, with elite, elite runners. And so we got to live with one of the runners, Matt Yano, and train as a professional. And that was a, just a wonderful experience for him. He PR'd at the Chicago Marathon. After training uh, with that team, and ran a sub-240 marathon at age 46, which placed him top five in his age group. And anybody who knows anything about running marathon knows that that time, no matter your age, is phenomenal. And for someone in their mid-40s, even more so, frankly. So we touch on that. We touch on some of his on um, some of his books like How Bad Do You Want It which has a cult following in the running community which is one of my favorites another one of my favorites that he's written is Iron War uh, which we we touch on that as well and a variety of other topics I hope you enjoy this episode with Matt also if you do I want to let you know about two more things so if you listen to this podcast you know about the Facebook fan page you can go onto Facebook search The Rambling Runner and there it is you'll be able to find it and will be able to like it in addition to that This past week, I started a YouTube channel, and the best thing to do uh, for that is just go on YouTube and subscribe, that way you don't miss an episode, and I will say that the YouTube channel is going to, excuse me, is going to focus on reviews, so the first review I did was of the L.L. Bean Pathfinder Lighted Beanie, which for me has been uh, a big help running in cold winter temperatures, but also running uh, oftentimes when, uh, you know, before the sun comes up, so... If you are interested in those things, I would check them out. But that's enough about me. Let's get into Matt Fitzgerald, and happy running. Hello, Matt, and welcome to the
1: Rambling Runner podcast. I am
2: beyond thrilled to be with you, Matt.
1: I really appreciate that, and I just gave basically your extensive running in media bio. It was was a mouthful. Frankly, uh, you've done so much in the running community. Uh, however, one thing I didn't mention, and I don't know, maybe this, might be, this might be the biggest accomplishment um, of your life, was two years ago we actually ran a long run together, okay. which was, and was maybe the best run of my life. And I really appreciated <laughs> well, you, you doing that with me.
2: I'll never forget it. Uh, yeah, and I appreciate your reaching out. You know, that's, that's something I do when I travel around. You know, I just look for people to run with. You know, I I like running with people I know already, but also it can be a lot of fun to just meet up with and run uh, with with a stranger, uh, which you were at the time. Uh, So thank you for responding to that call out and making it happen.
1: Yeah, I I saw it on Twitter that you were going to be in Rhode Island. I reached out. I got to be honest with you. I had zero expectation. But that never mind that you would say yes, but that you'd even get back to me. So I really appreciate that. And the best part was, you know, we got on the phone together. or I think it was over email. And you said, well, I'm doing 20 tomorrow. And I was, I had to play it cool, Matt. I had, I got to be honest with you. I, I told you this after the, after the run, that at that point, I hadn't run 20 miles in over a year. And I uh, um, was doing basically three to five mile runs that whole winter. But I, uh, I, I was happy to, uh, to join you. And, and to be fair, you, you did run a progression run and then you got to mile 20 and I, I couldn't quite keep up and I didn't know the way back. So I had to cut it. I had to cut the course a little bit. I got to, I I ran up running 18 while you ran 20.
2: Yeah. Uh, but you stepped up, man. I mean, if you were only running, that's I, I've i never even attempted to jump like that. So hats off.
1: Well, with that being said, I remember afterwards your, uh, your line was, well, I'm running 20 again tomorrow. If you want to join <laughs> me, <laughs> so that was that while I wasn't up for that I will say and uh, I'm not trying to try to lay it on too thick here but I will say that your mom's big big piece of cake after that run might have been the best post-run meal that I've had
2: it hit the spot for sure
1: (laughs) that was that was it And, and, and as you know when you're after you finish a long run like that basically anything would taste good but I'll tell you that was that was something else so um Thank you for joining the podcast. It's been, I was just telling you before, before we got on, that it's been a pleasure following what you've been up to uh, this past fall. Uh, for those who do not know, you basically did um, the running experiment that all amateur runners want to do. You spent 13 weeks uh, with a professional team, the NAS Elite, which is coached by Ben Rosario, and you capped that 13-week training program by running a 2.39 at the Chicago Marathon, which for you was a two-minute PR, which you had set nine years earlier. You said you ran 2.39 at age 46 years old, placed fifth in the 45 to 49 age group, and 145th overall. First of all, congratulations on that achievement.
2: Thank you very much. It was, uh, it was satisfying. I cannot, cannot deny it.
1: <laughs> so just going back to the, to the idea um, you know, when, you know it, and it started with you. What was it like when it went from an idea and the potential mm. of it happening to joining the this, the NAS Elite team to when you actually, you know, about to get on the plane to go to Arizona and to make this a reality? What was it like for you internally when you are about to to, to fully um, ingratiate yourself with that squad?
2: Well, first off, uh, I drove to Flagstaff because I I took my my, my wife and our uh, dog came along, so it was a family adventure, which is part of what made it even possible, was that uh, you know, uh, the three of us, uh, my wife, Nataki, I, and our little pooch, Queenie, we all stayed in the home of one of the members of the team, Matt Yano, who's a 61-minute half marathoner, 212 marathoner, uh, an all-around great guy um, with a fabulous home, uh, with a a spare master suite that he rents out to people interested in altitude training uh so that's where that's where we got to stay and it was just uh you know i mean it, it's a cool thing you know i just you know to to create sort of a fantasy scenario for yourself and just ask yourself why not you know why can't i just go ahead and do it and like all you got to do is ask and you know when i i petitioned uh, coach ben rosario uh to and they were my first choice you know there are professional running teams all over the country but um you know uh any of elite does a really good job of uh just being of connecting with the broader running community so i figured you know if anyone's going to be open to something like this you know a middle-aged always been recreational runner um albeit one who happens to write books about the sport you know just to, <laughs> you know just uh you know to Just uh, it's sort of like you know, embed myself uh, with the team as you know a recognized imposter. Um, but yeah, so you know, just making it happen, you know, it's how it's a, exactly how you Im- you would imagine it would feel if you're that passionate about running. Just like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. That's that's exactly what it was.
1: <laughs> right, I can imagine that. It's like the, I, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. All right, so you're driving there, and I I personally would be stuck between two two opposite ends of the spectrum feelings. So it's just the joy of like, I'm about to live out a dream to the other side of it being like, this is literally the definition of imposter syndrome.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I felt, um, you know, you know, I, I didn't feel like an imposter to the extent that I was so obviously not one of these folks. Now, let's be honest. I'm a good runner. Oh, for, for sure. sure. And you would have to be to even attempt this. You know, if I were, you know, a 4.45 marathoner, I couldn't have meaningfully trained with these folks. You know, so, you know, I get that. You know, I I, you know, the, I, wasn't, I wasn't a true middle-of-the-pack runner. But by the same token, I was not one of these folks. You know, first of all, they are literally half my age. And they are just, you know, way more talented. Even when I was their age, I couldn't run you know, as fast as the women on on the team run. So I just, you know, I was definitely out of my depth, but I was out of my depth to a degree that, you know, I wasn't, uh, there was no possibility of fooling anyone. So I wasn't wasn't trying to, but, you know, that doesn't mean I wasn't like fearful, but I was more fearful of just, you know, there was a lot of pressure on me because, you know, obviously if, if I'm going to do something like this, it's for the purpose of sharing it through writing, you know, with other runners. And if the whole thing was a disaster, I just, I wouldn't have a lot to share. So, you know, when I was making that long drive to Flagstaff, that sort of, you know, there was the excitement on one side, but, you know, the trepidations I felt were more about, you know, that particular pressure of like, you know, if this doesn't end well, it doesn't just hurt me as a runner. It hurts me on every possible level.
1: <laughs> That's a good point. And, you know, we don't need to go blow by the experience there because you did a great job of, of capturing it day by day on com. So com, Running Bum, which I guess is the working title for the book you're going to be writing about this experience. That's right. Yep yeah so I would advise anybody who's interested uh, in, in your you know previous writings uh, or is listening to this podcast to check that out. That was for me. I was like, you know it's almost it was almost like a dosa Keys commercial. It's like i don't always read running blogs, but when <laughs> I do, I read running bum <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: I appreciate that
1: <laughs> um so it it really was uh, fascinating to to read and, and one of the things that struck me throughout was given your history as a runner and anyone who's read How Bad You Want It, which basically has, I don't know if this is the right term, but almost like a cult following with dedicated amateur runners. It really, uh, I feel like it hits home with a lot of people, it is that in the, in the beginning of the book, you, you really dive into your own running background. And, you know, in terms of you know, being one of the best runners in New Hampshire, basically runner to Sean Livingston for a while. And then, you know, later on in your life when you interview Hunter Kemper. Um, basically talking about how his two mile time in high school was like the exact same two mile time that you had, uh-huh. which is like, you know, which, which puts you in this situation of like, Hey, you know, the, the, what, what if I continue to pursue this and to that end, what would have your experience been like if you had trained with this team, if you were in your mid to late twenties, if you had gone back to that time, not knowing what you know now, but if you just, you just hopped right in, what, what would have been like and what would have you had gained and not gained from that experience?
2: Well, you know, really interesting question, and I honestly, I find it hard to say, you know, because, you know, my, my wife, my life did take such, you know, I, I got away from running for a while, you know, I just got fat and out of shape to the point where climbing a flight of stairs was challenging for, for me, and to, you know, get back into running after falling so far away from it... um it's just been such a particular experience you know i do ask myself that um you know that that what if question um but you know to attempt to answer answer your question um you know i think you know i just i would have been very focused on i, I would have very much just as i do now respected you know, the superiority of the runners around me and the competence of the people in authority, you know, Ben, you know, the physical therapists, you know, that the the whole supporting staff. And I just would have tried to use all of that to my maximum benefit as a runner, you know. And and so, you know, I think I would have benefited a great deal as a runner, you know, to have been in that environment and that age. And certainly I would have been capable Barring disaster of running faster at at, at that age, you know, just it was it was just something that just simply didn't happen, you know, but, you know, as a human being, I experienced it very differently. You know, you're just a lot less mature in your 20s. So, you know, I don't know if I would have gotten the same things out of it, just kind of as a human being. I guess, you know, there are different stages in life. So I guess I would have gotten I would I would have learned important lessons in different ways if I if I'd gone on that path.
1: The reason I bring it up is because most of the people who listen to this podcast are those who have really dedicated themselves to running a little bit later in life than someone who you know, really dives in in their teens and just never gives right. it up, right? Um, and kind of converse to the question I just asked is, how did your experience – how are you able to take advantage of your life experiences when going into this 13 weeks with NAZ elite? Like what about your previous experience allowed you to make the most of that time?
2: Yeah, that's another great question. I really feel like that being the age I was not physically, but psychologically was a huge advantage for me. So, um, you know, I was able to appreciate how really fully appreciate how special this opportunity was. uh, And that was a difference maker. So it just kept me, um, you know, you know, when, when I had a setback, I I just had, you know, an ability not to hit the panic button um, that I I wouldn't have had if if I was younger. Um, so that was probably the biggest thing. But also, just you know, just being a very experienced runner who had learned a lot of things the hard way also worked to my advantage. You know, um, so you know, I had a I had a great coach um, who. You know, let's be honest. I I wouldn't you know without him, (laughs) I just I wouldn't have uh, I wouldn't have run as well, or I wouldn't have improved as much as I did. But also, uh, you know, I was able to you know the the coach doesn't do the running you know, and I, I recognize that maybe less experienced runners in my place wouldn't have been able to meet Ben halfway as an athlete the way I was able to just because of all the experience I had to fall back on. Just to give you know be concrete. Um, Ben didn't know me well as a runner, you know, when I got there. So he would give me times and workouts that weren't necessarily appropriate. And there are runners who will ruin a workout by just, you know, by defying what their coach wants them to do in terms of the intent of the workout. But I wasn't going to do that because I I understood the intent of the workout. So even if I ran faster than Ben wanted me to, I knew I wasn't running too fast, you know, because I just, uh, you know, I knew what the spirit or, you know, of the workout was, or what his intentions for it were that, you know, that sort of thing.
1: Right. And to that point, even more, like you are a running coach, right? I mean, you, you work with runners, you have a running coach business, um, you know, at the end of this podcast, we can talk about where people can contact you if they're interested in your services. So in that capacity, did you, you see yourself kind of going back and forth between the coach perspective and the running perspective?
2: Uh, no, not really in terms of how i experienced it i i sort of took my coach hat off you know on on somewhere around the california arizona border <laughs> <laughs> you know honestly because you know it's one thing and i don't mean to hurt my own coaching business by saying this but it's one thing to coach at my level it is another thing to coach at the elite or professional level i mean they are elite for a reason <laughs> you know what i mean like there's a lot more at stake when you're coaching people trying to make it to the Olympics. So, um, you know, I recognize that, you know, even though I was a coach myself, that I could absolutely just put my trust in, in Ben. And even, you know, a lot of the runners on the team have have been at it for a long time and do some coaching themselves. And yet they, you know, they do the same thing. So it's just, there are different roles. So it wasn't difficult for me to just like, you know, you know, it, where I would pivot back to my coaching role is when I would try to pass on the things I was learning to right. other runners, but not in my relationship with, with Ben for sure.
1: So at the bedrock of your book, how bad do you want It's just the idea of the, not idea, but when you expanded upon the psychological, psychological model of endurance performance, which is put out by Samuel Marcora, um, who wrote the, wrote the forward to your book. And with that in mind, in terms of your relationship to perception of effort, and we'll dive into, into that book in a second, did that change at all, your relationship to perception of effort in your time with NAZ Elite? Is, is that part of the reason that you were able to make this huge, um, these huge strides in terms of your performance?
2: Yeah, I, I will say that one of the most unexpected things about the experience was how, how good I felt uh, pretty much all the way through, you know, I, I, I had, you know, some significant injury problems. I I ran in pain most days, (laughs) (laughs) but, but putting that aside, you know, in, you know, in terms of perception of effort, you know, in all of, you know, all of the real workouts, the real meaty workouts, I felt terrific. Uh, It was like in, in the worst of them, I felt good. I had no bad workouts. And, and there were several that were just among the best workouts I've ever had in my life. And, you know, I started running when I was 11, <laughs> I'm 46, I've done a few, <laughs> I've done a few workouts and, you know, I, I had a, you know, a concentrated handful of just workouts where I sort of felt like I was an elite runner until like Scott Bobble and Matt Yano w- went blowing by me at four for mile pace, <laughs> doing the same workout, having started after me, that, that sort of thing that brought me back down to earth. But. You know, because you know, people, I, I would get this question, like, man, you know, how are you surviving that punishing training load? And my answer was always, like, kind of easy, to be honest. <laughs> you know, like, I feel great. And, you know, yeah, I don't know, it would take more time than we have, probably, to explore, like, why that was so. But it was definitely, you know, for whatever, you know, constellation of reasons, it was so that I just felt. By and large, terrific their uh, perception of effort wise the whole way through, including in Chicago i mean you know i 've run probably forty i i, I say forty one marathons i don 't know i don't i haven 't counted but like that was probably around my forty first marathon and it was and i haven 't raced them all, but Chicago was the easiest. Uh, all out marathon I've ever run by by a long shot. So just sort of this, I don't know, this kind of magic that that followed me all the way through the
1: experience. That's amazing, and especially considering, like you have said, that you were you were bent up for a lot of the training. Um, in your book, eighty twenty run here next to me, which I love. Um, you basically talk about how you know eighty percent of the time you should be going easy, uh, and you define what that is in the book. Easy means easy. You know, it's not about like getting to the line between easy and hard, and the 20, other twenty percent, you're really putting it out there. And for you, in terms of those workouts, where you know you, yourself, do you feel like you went harder, perception of effort-wise, in those workouts than you had working alone?
2: Nope. <laughs> like, like I, that's great. But, you know, because you know, one thing is that you know, in the in the in the easy runs I did there, I could run with my teammates, you know, um, not mm. initially, but, but after, you know, maybe three weeks, I was consistently running at least with the women and sometimes even with the guys on easy runs. Um, and that's a testament to how slow they are running for them as much as it, as it is to how fit I was getting there. But in workouts and hard, hard workouts, I had no training partners, like, except for, um, you know, Eric Fernandez, a retired member of the team, would come back to pace me sometimes. Or uh, an injured member of the team who was just coming back might, you know, throw me a bone and pace me a little bit. Or I would have, like, um, a local recreational runner who sometimes tagged along with the team to to run with. But otherwise, I was just on my own out there, and I was just trying to execute what Ben told me to do. So, you know, I I would do the workouts, and... Some of them were just absolutely epic. I mean, these gigantic, you know, Frankenstein workouts that were <laughs> different from anything I'd ever done before, but felt great. You know, there was there was only one single workout there where I went as deep into the well in a workout as I ever have in my life. You know, but it, and it was. It was searingly painful, like that that one, you know, concluding part of that one workout. But other than that, you know, it just, um, you know, it wasn't a matter of my improvement was definitely not a matter of like learning to go deeper than I had before because I I kind of already had that coming in. It it was a long time in coming, but like I had that, Um, so it was it was a little more different. It was just more like speed running faster felt easier. That was, that was the difference. Not that I was able to go deeper in the pain cave.
1: Right. And then going back to your running history, um, you know, when you were in the, the tournament, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, was it, was it the race of champions back in New Hampshire? Need um, of champions. Meet of champions. That's it. So you know, you're coming down the stretch, you're running against a competitor, you're both ratcheting it up, the levels, time and time again, in a finishing straight, and then finally, you basically just give in and let and let let him have it. And that led to a slide for you in terms of it seemed like the the, the starting point of a slide that culminated in you giving up running for a period of time. So for you, when you look at runners who give in in those moments, which you've, you you again you talk about extensively, and how bad do you want it? Do you feel like those instances can snowball quickly and become a habit if someone gives into those and it's something to, to watch out for?
2: Yes. I mean, you know, uh, you know, the thing I didn't realize at the time, you know, when I, you know, I, you know, the, uh, my Achilles heel as a, as a high school runner was that I, I had a, I had a relatively low tolerance for, perception of effort, I guess, you know, I just, you know, you know, you know, to, 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 to race long distance is to suffer. And, you know, not everyone is capable of suffering to the same degree. There's a spectrum there, just like there's a talent spectrum and there's a a work ethic spectrum. There is, you know, I was not as tough as I needed and wanted to be. The thing I didn't recognize at the time was that I actually held myself to a high standard. So I thought I was, mentally weaker than everyone around me. In retrospect, I realized that wasn't true. I was actually among the tougher ones, I just wasn't the toughest. And the toughest was the standard I held myself to at the time. So now as a coach, I see that. I just I just see all the time, um, runners, they sort of think they can't work or they can't push any harder than they do, but they could if they were. They only step back from themselves the way, you know. I I was able to do. Uh, there, there's no other way. If you don't realize there's a problem, you can't you can't overcome it. Now, some runners are in situations where it's staring in them in the, them in their in the face, and in those instances, it can snowball. Like you know, like you suggested. I, you know, the analogy I make is like in in basketball. If you miss your you know just by chance, if you miss your first three shots in the game, it can get in your head. <laughs> And then you start missing shots because you're missing shots, not so much because your technique is off. And the same thing
1: – Well, as, some, as a former college basketball player who missed a, his first three shots of the game pretty much every game, I can definitely say that that's true.
2: <laughs> so there you go. So there's, you know, there's a running equivalent of that, which is like, you know, where, where you start to recognize that you have some limit or barrier, the, you know, just the thought of that limit, you know, reinforces – the original limit, you know what i mean on on a psychological level and it become it can become a real problem. you know i hear from you know especially after how bad you want It came out i hear from runners all the time triathletes you know who are struggling with that sort of thing, you know like choking or just you know not wanting it badly enough and they're like, you know, how do i do it? <laughs> how, you know how do i get past this and you know there's yeah, you know if i could bottle the answer i would make a lot of money but it's not not quite that simple
1: no but you kind of did in that book um and i I think like anything in life it's easier to to be shown the path than it is to walk it but i think if you if someone were to to go through that book and really use the principles i think it it definitely gets here gets there one thing that i think has a positive negative effect especially now in terms of how the media landscape is are doing uh, from a running perspective is the comparison trap. I think the negatives are fairly obvious uh for a lot of people. Um but the positives can be can be also um pretty nice because you see somebody say, hey, that person over there is doing XYZ. Well what's stopping me from doing that? And as long as you don't take it to a negative place, that can work out pretty well. I was actually talking to Ro mcgettigan who is the co-founder of the Believe Journal, um, and about this, about the positive negative of that. And um, I think on that on that same level in terms of figuring out what your limit is, right? I think in the in that book you mentioned like the is this wall that you can move backwards or forwards depending on your fitness. And then your mental basically your performance limit is your mental ability to get as close to that wall as possible. Um, and then like like many people, I'm of the belief that there's far more you're far more than you may be able to give yourself credit for in a race or key workouts. And one of the quotes that from um, Ultramarathon um, crazy man David Goggins uh-huh. is that you're, you know, when you're tired or fatigued, you're really only 40% there in terms of reaching your potential. And um, I don't know if that's true or not from a statistical standpoint, but with that in mind, how much faith should we put in our perception of effort?
2: Uh, say that again. <laughs> I, said, I
1: guess how much faith should we put in our perception of effort in terms of, you know, how, how what our limits are or can yeah. be.
2: Well, I mean, you know, there's no off switch for perception of effort. That you know, that's that's the thing. Like, you know, you know, it it, it makes no difference to you know to be uh, intellectually cognizant of the fact that your physical limit is beyond your psychological limit. It simply doesn't change the fact that you are limited by your maximum tolerance for perceived effort or really just, you know, what you feel you're capable of. You know, if, if you feel you're not going to make it to the finish line, you're not going to make it to the finish line. And knowing that that's just a perception makes absolutely no difference <laughs> whatsoever. It's, it's, the, that's a great well, point. It's, it's the feeling that being said, you know, feelings are, you know, it's not like, you know, a gas tank where, you know, when you're out of gas, you, you stop moving. Like perceptions are, You know, they're mutable to a certain degree. So just by, you know, just by having, for example, a higher level of motivation, if you're more motivated to do a race, you're more willing to suffer and you will be able to tolerate a higher level of perceived effort. So the limit is movable. Um, Experience can change it. You know, if you run, you know, what you think is as hard as you can in one race and it doesn't kill you, you come away thinking, you know what, I actually probably could go a little harder next time you know so that's part of it too there you know there's all kinds of little things and that what that's what makes you know the endurance sports experience so rich is that you know there there there's this myriad ways where you can like find more performance you know just by harnessing the the power of your mind you know some of it is like tricks or hacks and some of it is like deeply personal growth that can help you you know uh you know you know, master the psychological. You know, the mind over muscle thing as well. So, um, yeah, it's just it's a cool deal.
1: That's a good point, and I think another thing that that really um, gets me about that book uh, is very early on. I think it's chapter two. Is um, as someone who has a young family, I have a two and a half year old and a five year old, and I have a full time job and all of those things. And anyone who listens to this podcast, I think, is probably in the same circumstance where basically the mental fatigue that someone in that circumstance, especially if you have like some crazy kids running around and then you're going from doing something that's mentally taxing and then trying to do something physically demanding while they may seem like those two things aren't connected. They are very much so connected, especially in the psychological model of endurance performance.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's really, uh, it's quite interesting that, you know, um, on one level, it's quite obvious, right? You know, your brain is running the show. You know your 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 brain slash mind is the control center. So if if you're weakened in the control center, why wouldn't you you know be capable of less you know physically? But you know, science took you know because we it took a long time to sort of you know crack open the skull and see what was what was actually going on. And scientists, you know, as valuable as they are, like sort of can't measure. So now that we can look inside the brain and see, you know, what kind of role it plays like, it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, it, you know, things that intuitively always made sense to athletes, um, you know, are, are borne out by some of the latest science, you know, but when I was in high school, I actually, I took the SAT on the same day I ran the state cross country championship. One, one time. Oh my God. Yeah, the SAT was first. <laughs> and like, you know, and, and be, you know, it was my thinking was—I well, mean, I was seventeen or whatever at the time, sixteen. Um, so you know, I wasn't like really thinking about it one way or the other. It's just like you know, they—it ha- was convenient. You know, it wasn't in the—it wasn't in the town I lived in, and it, like it was a testing center, and right down the road was the cross-country course. So like, why not? And it, you know, it's like one of them's One of them. I'm sitting at a desk, so it's mental. Why would that you know impair my performance in a subsequent you know championship cross-country race? well so
1: wait which which course was that
2: that's dairy field park in manchester New York.
1: so you did the sat and then ran your state meet on the hardest cross-country course in america
2: yep yeah <laughs> oh my god yeah, well, you know i don't know it just it seems ridiculous in retrospect <laughs> you know yeah, because you, you think and there are probably a lot of people who still feel like well why would that matter but um you know, why it matters, you know, to get right down to brass tacks is that, uh, you know, a, a big part of, um, well, you know, anytime you are racing and you're feeling discomfort, you have to exercise a psychological capacity known as inhibitory control. And inhibitory control is just the ability to resist impulses and the impulse you want to resist when you're racing is. Quitting, you know, the desire to quit or the desire to slow down, the desire to suffer less, they're all kind of the same thing. You have to resist that to stay focused on getting to the finish line as fast as you can or beating as many other runners as you can. But you have the same part of your brain that, you know, exercises that capacity on the race course. You're also using it when you're taking the SAT or, you know, doing anything that is purely mental, you know, even if your, your heart rate is, 55 beats per minute, you're at rest, you're, you're in street clothes, you're at a desk, you can still be taxing the same part of your brain. And if and if you fatigue that part of your brain that you need to perform at your best, you know, in a running event, you know, your performance will be compromised.
1: That's a good point. Um, now I always wonder if it goes in the reverse order as well. So you've sensibly on the cycle, um, psychological of endurance performance and how, the mental side has a direct and meaningful impact on performance. But have you seen the reciprocal to that? Meaning, have you seen physical physical performance affect mental stability and or mental health?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, well, (laughs) yeah, I thought you were going one direction with that question, and I'm not sure. Well, I'll answer what I thought the question you were asking was, and then you can tell me if that was the question. But with regard to, like, if we were just to reverse the example we, you just, we just talked about uh, SAT before cross-country meet and made it cross-country meet before SAT, my SAT also would have been compromised by having run, you know, because again, same part of the brain that you, you need, you've tired out. Now actually like moderate exercise actually improves like, you know, cognitive abilities. So if you like took a, a test after, you know, like a light jog, you would likely perform better, but after something exhaustive, you would perform worse and you know this has actually been been shown in because uh, you know, it's not not that hard you know to construct a study that finds out one way or the other but, but was that was that what you were asking you
1: know i mean that that, that I can see that completely and anyone who's ever tried to do homework after a hard high school basketball or, or whatever practice can, t- can t- uh, you know testify to that um, that that's definitely the case. I was actually thinking more of. You know, I had um a woman on the podcast last week. Her name is Liz organization called Girls with Soul. Um and they and she works with nine to eighteen year olds who have gone through abuse and basically are using running as a way of kind of overcoming their past and kind of reaching into like basically trying to reach their potential and, and basically running as therapy type model. And when I think about that and I think about all right, I wonder, you know, the basically the running as therapy piece, it is almost like this model in reverse in a sense where because you're putting yourself on the line physically, then it's then helping you mentally.
2: Yeah. I mean that, that is, uh, yeah. I mean that (laughs) you've got, you've got me, uh, you opened up another can of worms there. So I'm working on this book now called life is a marathon, uh, which is really about exactly that. Um, Oh yeah. Um, you know, it's really about the the transformative uh, power of running, um, and you know I've experienced that in my own life. You know, I just feel like you know running for me. Uh, you know, I wasn't you know abused as a child. I, I had kind of a golden childhood, but um, since you know since then, you know I've gone through my share of drama. Like you know most people, you can't get to middle age without going through some vicissitudes um, and also, you know, I'm a person who wants to grow <laughs> and, and mature throughout life and, and running has been, you know, a, a very powerful vehicle in my life for meeting life's challenges and growing as a person. And I've seen it in so many other people in, you know, all kinds of different ways. Um, you know, running is used to lift people out of homelessness. You know, there's, there's a program that does that. The home, Running is used to uh, develop self-esteem in, in young girls, and that works too. Running is used to get people off of uh, drugs and alcohol. That works too. Um, you know, no, almost no matter what you're looking for in running, it seems like you can you can find it there. Um, it just it's really uncanny. Uh, it it's it's potential in, in that regard. You know, to affect us psychologically to benefit us psychologically and it's something that i'm keenly interested in you know just on on a personal level and i guess kind of on a scientific level um so yeah i'm actually working on a book right now that's kind of all about that
1: oh i can't wait to read it so you're working on two books you got running bum and you got this other one
2: three Um, (laughs) uh Yeah, there's a uh, there's, there's a much demanded sequel to eighty twenty running called eighty twenty triathlon. You can imagine what that's about. That's that's coming down the pike actually before uh, either of those other two. Oh,
1: okay, got it. All right, so you, you know, you've, so you're currently working on three books. You've written dozens of others. So, which book of yours would you choose to have read earlier in your life if you could? And basically place us where you are and say oh. which book would be would have been the best. Um, I don't know, had the most impact on you earlier in your life and what was going on at that period?
2: Uh, I guess it would be um, how bad you want it. Um, uh, uh, Iron War deals with kind of similar themes uh, um, you know, in, in a different way. But I guess, you know, to have had sort of a practical effect on helping me you know bootstrap my way forward in in life at an impressionable impressionable age I think how bad you want it uh it would have been that I see you know I, I've seen it I've been very gratified to see it have that effect on you know teenage athletes you know who who do read it you know I guess most people who read it are older but i've I've come across some you know athletes who are Still in high school, who have read it, and it seems to have been difference-making. You know, just according to what they've said to me, which is you know very gratifying. So it's not that hard to imagine the effect it would have had on me.
1: Right. All right. So in uh, how bad you want it, you mentioned that your 2008 performance at the Silicon Valley Marathon was you know for you a turning point race, maybe one of your most pr- the, your proudest race at that point. I, it was uh, you know you're you're running, you're coming down the finishing stretch. Um, and this couple's sitting on the side, and this woman yells, uh, says just to her her boyfriend or husband or whatever, just says, wow. And you kind of internalize that as she's seeing how much I'm suffering here and I'm still pushing. Is that still your most proud moment, or has something eclipsed that since?
2: Yeah, uh, that that has been eclipsed. I mean, that one was special because it was, I guess, um, it symbolized uh, sort of you know a redemption, you know, you know. There's like, I guess you know. Look at like, ask Tom Brady what his favorite Super Bowl win was. Like, I have to, <laughs> I I have to think he would. There's something about the first, you know what I mean? So like, for me, I've had moments since that, you know, because that was you know, you know, several years ago. Now I've had moments since that. Um, right, I feel like you know maybe I've I've moved beyond there. Right. So That was um, kind of like, not so much a turning point, but as a symbolic of having overcome what I sought to overcome, you know, for so long. So now I, in a way I'm sort of, I'm now I'm reaping the rewards of having made that transition, but it's not like things have stopped and they're static. Now I can, you know, I can keep you know kind of trying to outstrip my myself um so yeah there there are a couple moments that i feel like that i'm even i guess uh where where I, i'm more complete I'm, I'm more complete now psychologically as, as an athlete mentally as an athlete than i was even then um so i'm sort of proud of the progress i've made since then but that was kind of watershed for sure that particular race <laughs>
1: thank you for sharing that and obviously you have a lot of self-awareness on that issue and uh, my last question before we get going first of all thank you for all the time Uh, you're putting together three books you have time to talk to me i appreciate it um and um you know you mentioned iron war that's my favorite book not just of yours but just of any book I, i i love that book i must have listened to it more than two dozen times i've gifted i've gifted it to other people and one thing There's many things that strike me about that book and that I always hold on to. But one thing that struck me the most was just the self-awareness that Mark Allen and Dave Scott have in terms of connecting their running back to, I mean, their training, I should say, because they're triathletes, connecting their training back to who they are as people. And as you've grown older and you've done all a myriad of things with your own training and talked to thousands of elite runners, how important is that self-awareness for people who want to reach the pinnacle of their sport?
2: Yeah, that's another uh, astute question because I I think hugely so. You know, one of the coolest parts of my Flagstaff experience was being around, you know, there were, I guess, you know, 13 athletes on the team at the time. One dropped out halfway through. One of them was remote, so I never met him. So maybe 11 runners, you know, 11 of the best runners in America I was surrounded by daily. And so that's that's enough special athletes to start to notice patterns. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, and these athletes were very, I was really struck by their level of self-awareness. Um, you know, it's just, you don't, I I don't think you can get to that level otherwise. And, you know, obviously you have to have physical gifts as well, and we don't all have those, but you can still you know, try to get the mental piece down with whatever level of physical talent you you have, and uh, you know, have you know, just being able to develop in yourself uh, the kind of mental tools that those athletes have, um, you know, will you know, whatever your goals may be, it will certainly help you achieve them.
1: That's great. Well, Matt, before we get going, um, you're all over the internet. I was looking at like, all right, what what web address can I point to for people? And I'm like, I have a list of like. I think a dozen web addresses where, where they can find interesting things about what about you and what you're doing. Uh, dot That seems to be like your, your hub. Um, people who want to look at your uh, training up to the Chicago marathon can go to com forward slash running bum. What you're currently doing to get ready to New Orleans marathon this spring is com. seriously amateur. All these will be in the show notes. Also, Matt, where should they go? If they're looking to get, um, trained by you or coached by you, um, in the future.
2: Yeah. So actually they, they can find me through uh, the URLs you just shared. Um, also there's a, a new site uh, I've launched called 8020 endurance.com. Um, and there's like, there's a blog there with free stuff. Um, that I, I try to post to every week. Uh, so that's another resource.
1: There you go. Well thank you so much for joining me and uh and happy running, Matt. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah, it was a pleasure, Matt. <laughs>